0: So last week we started talking about the Ahav Where are we? We're at page 46. 46, you're at half a, half a chapter. Right? So we started talking about the Ahav Every single yid, every single Jew has a hidden love for Hashem. A latent love for Hashem. And we explained that this is our birthright. This is something that, due, the, due to the fact that we are excuse me, the descendants of the Avis, the patriarchs of Ram, Yitzhak and Yaakov, so every one of us inherited a neshama, a holy neshama, and this neshama is the source of the Ahva Mesuteras, which we'll get to more a little later, what that means, that this neshama is the source of this love. And Dr. Rebbe explains this a little according to Kabbalah. And he says, We you know that there are four spiritual worlds. The highest one is Atsilos, and that's the world which is absolutely united with Hashem, absolutely one with Hashem. And in Atsilos, there are ten spheres, ten divine attributes that are mayor, that shine in the world of Atsilos. And then there are another three worlds, and each world also has ten spheres, the ten attributes. But when we're talking about Hashem's attributes, we're talking about in the world of Atzilos. Afterwards, that's as they are distilled and filtered and they come down. Every single Yid has a holy neshama, which means that the neshama that we have comes from one of the spheres in one of the worlds. But because all the worlds and all the spheres, they're all, there's what's called iskalalos, the they're all unite one with another, and they're all. It's really a chain one flows from another so therefore in every sphere of every holy world ultimately the source of that is the highest sphere of the highest world which is Chochmah is the highest attribute the highest sphere of Atzilos, which is the highest world and in Chachma of Atsilos, the Eirin Saf the infinite light of Hashem is mayor, is manifest over there so therefore by process of um, trickling down within the neshama of every single yid, there is er in saf. There's the revelation of the infinite light of Hashem. However, the Alter Rebbe says, "We're in our neshama. Is this holiness manifest?" The Uyur and Saf, where is the Uyur and Saf manifest in our nishama And the Alter Rebbe says, in the Chachma of our nishama In other words, just like Hashem has ten spheres, we know that we are created in Hashem's image, which means that just like Hashem has ten attributes, we also have ten attributes, these ten Koiches of Chachma, and Bina, and Das, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, Chesed, Gvura, kindness, severity, etc. Where is our relationship with Hashem, where is this holiness present in the Chachmah of our Nafesh? So to understand this a little better, we have to talk a little more about Chachmah. What is Chachmah? And once we understand what Chochmah is, we'll understand what, it, what exactly it means, and what's the significance of the fact that our relationship with Hashem stems from our Chachmah, the Chachmah of our neshama. And by the way, we'll also come to understand why it is, we used to, we're saying that the irin saf, where is the irin saf manifest? In Chachma Vatsilos. Why only Chachma Vatsilos? Why not all the other spheres? Yes, it comes, it trickles down into all the other spheres, but where is it openly manifest is only in Chachma Vatsilos. So once we understand what Chachma is, we'll understand why our relationship with Hashem is in our Chachma, and also why the Aryan er Saf, the infinite light of Hashem, manifests itself in Chachma Vatsilos. What is Chachma? So we learned about this a little in Peyer Gimel, in Chapter 3. The Abba says, Chochmah is made up of two words, Koyach Mah. Koyach means an attribute, a power, a faculty. But Ma, what is it? It's something which it's intangible, it can't be grasped. And these two things, on the one hand, it's a faculty. In other words, it's something which we use in our life something which impacts our life it affects our life influences our life very strongly but at the same time it remains elusive it's ma. what is it it's not something that we can necessarily figure out it is that which lies in the subconscious it is the deepest part of who we are the deepest convictions that we have the deepest ideals that we have (coughs) which we can't necessarily explain. Not because they don't make sense, but because they're beyond the sense. They're beyond Seichel. Where does Seichel really begin? By bina. Bina means something which I, I, I can comprehend. Chochmah is something which influences the way I think, but really transcends it. By way of example, Why does a parent love his or her child? What's the reason? It's instinctive. It's instinctive. Which is what's the intangible part of what you say. So when when, when we say that the love of a parent to a child transcends seichel, transcends intellect, does that mean that it defies intellect? Does that mean that it conflicts with intellect? I'm not saying that. Compliments it, it goes beyond it. It's not, uh, it's not restricted to intellect. It's there whether it makes sense, whether it doesn't make sense. And it's not, it's not based upon Seichel. And that's why you can have a parent, The parents love their children, regardless, regardless of anything. Because it's not something, and there is no rationale for why we love children. It's just something which is at the very deepest part of who we are. And, and that's why even when parents hate their children, they love their children. And that's and the parent who kaviyachol, as you know, so to say, hates their child. Why do they hate their child? Where's that hate from? It's it's love. You know, the one thing a parent can't be towards their child is indifferent. If I don't love my child, so I'll be upset at my child. But that upsetness also is because it's my child. The idea of not caring about my child that doesn't exist because that's uh, it goes to the deepest part of who I am. And there are other things in life that are that way. Why is it wrong to kill someone else? Why is it wrong? Why is it wrong to kill someone else, to steal from someone else? So. Okay, as a from Yid we say Hashem said so, but for some reason we find because that we, not only the from Yidin, but it's something which is a bedrock of, of society. Yes, you have certain people obviously who um, do otherwise. But it's something which is very basic that everyone knows that we don't kill someone. Is it illogical? I can't say it's illogical. In other words, I can bring you, I can give you arguments why we shouldn't, why you shouldn't kill someone. I can give you arguments why, um, why you shouldn't, uh, you know, just rob someone blind. And maybe they're logical, but. If someone tomorrow comes and disproves all my arguments, and in fact maybe proves to me that it's right to kill someone, am I going to change my mind? No. Not change my mind. Why? Because there's something which is very deep within me. There are certain things in the human nature which are beyond bina. Bina is that which I figured out, and that which I understood. But the point I'm trying to make, when we say that something transcends logic and transcends intellect, It doesn't mean that it negates logical intellect. It doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. It means that it goes beyond that and higher than that, and therefore it's not predicated on intellect. It might also have a reason for it. There might also be a reason why I love my child. It might be very logical to love my child, but that's not why I love my child. I love my child, whether it makes sense, whether it doesn't make sense, it's just who I am. It's part of who I am. That is Chachma. So now we see why Chachma, on the one hand, Chachma is a koyach, it's a part of me. In other words, to say that it's so in my subconscious that it doesn't have any influence on me or doesn't impact me would be wrong. As we see, these deep convictions that we have very, very much influence our lives. But at the same time, Ma. It's something that it's very difficult to be able to pin down exactly what this is. Because the part of me that begins me is Bina. Bina is where I begin. When I say when I say I begin, I mean the conscious part of me. You know, where I understand and where I feel and I'm in control. And then there are things that are so deep within me. They're so deep within me they're not part of the conscious me. They're not part of uh, the me that I build and that I, I decide to understand or I decide to feel. So when we're saying that the the holiness of the neshama is in its chachma, our relationship with Hashem is in the chachma of our nishama. what we we're trying to say is that our relationship with Hashem is instinctive to us. It's beyond logic. Of course, as you know, I'm a Chassid Chabad, not a Chassid Chah, you know, it's not just chachma. There's also the, there's the Bad there also, the Binan Das, which means that we cannot suffice with that instinct. And yes, it's important that we should have a relationship with Hashem, also with our Bina, and also with our Das, that it should make sense to us, and that it should be logical to us, because at the end of the day, it's not illogical. And that's a very important part of of being a Yid, is that the relationship which I have with Hashem, which comes from the depths of my neshama, which is rooted in my chachma, should also be part of my bina, and part of my Das and part of my chesed, and part of my gevura, and my love, and my fear, and my understanding. It shouldn't be despite my logic. My relationship shouldn't Hashem, with Hashem should not be well, really, it doesn't make any sense to me, but it's instinctual. Our job is actually to make it that it should also make sense. That's bina. But that's never the foundation of the relationship. The foundation of my relationship with Hashem is not what I understand. It goes much deeper than that. You know, Avram Avinu, I think maybe we spoke about this last year, he was the first person to uh, to recognize Hashem. But he recognized Hashem with his Seichel, with his intellect. He was a brilliant person and he was able to just look around that nature and extrapolate the idea of, the one, of, of a one Hashem. And um, he took this knowledge and he taught it to many, many thousands of people and he made many thousands of converts. And then at the age of 75 Hashem tells Avram Avinu Lech l'cha. I want you to move away from all this. I want you to go somewhere else entirely. Now obviously that was a reference to a physical journey that he took. But spiritually speaking, that was all very nice. I'm going to take you somewhere else entirely. I want you to leave this place where you are. According to These are all different references, the different parts of your nature. And I'm going to take you somewhere else. Because you're going to get a Yiddish and a Shama, which is so much above and beyond. The relationship with Hashem is so much above and beyond that which can be achieved through intellect only. I think the Rebbe speaks about it. And what this means is that Yiddishkeit is at our very core. It's not something we can rid ourselves of. It's not something we can shed. And it's beyond questions. You know, talk about the Eden. 70 years ago, 80 years ago, who lived through the war. Lived through the war. The Holocaust, and went through it. And did they have questions on Hashem? Some of them. How could, how could you not have questions? How could, you, how, how could you go through that and not have questions? You know, Eli Wiesel, us Vashalom, passed away a few weeks ago. So in one of his books, he writes, I don't remember which concentration camp he was in. Was it Auschwitz? I don't remember Auschwitz. He writes about that he, in his barracks there were some Tamidi Chachamim. Obviously, there were no Sfarim around. And he says that one day they decided, a few Chachamim, that they're taking Hashem to Adin Teira, for crimes against humanity, the way he describes it. Today, it's a, it's a war crime, it's an international uh, the term. How can he do with he, how, how can he allow this to happen to, uh, the to B'nai Yisrael, to, to, to any to any nation, especially uh, Am Kurevay. And as Eli Wiesel writes about it, it wasn't an extended entire, it wasn't just something, it wasn't a five minute uh, precursory of um, fear. And they're abundant. they debated, and they went back and forth, and they went through different Gemara's. And at the end of the day, the verdict came down, the Psak Din came down. Well he writes it, I'm sure he adds a little, you know, poetic flair to it, the way, he, the way uh, he's wanted to do. That Hashem elokai Yisrael was found guilty, was found found guilty. They delivered the, they solemnly delivered the verdict, and then one of them turns, looks, and turns to the and says, "Okay, it's time for my riff. It's time to dive on my riff. <laughs> And there's such a beauty in that story, because we can have questions, and sometimes things things don't make sense. But a question can only a question can only destroy something which is based on intellect. In other words, since I understand one thing, so if you will bring to me a question, you'll bring you'll bring a question or some sort of proof that will disprove that which I formerly thought to be correct. So then I will abandon my previously held uh, understanding. But when something never was based on seichel in the first place, never was based on seichel, you know why, he, why we serve Hashem, and why our relationship with Hashem is not because it makes sense. Yes, it makes sense. I mean, we're not negating that. Yes, it makes sense. But that's not the foundation of the relationship. The foundation of the relationship is in Chachma Sheba The Koyachma, that which is beyond Bina, that which is higher than that, then it's impervious, it can't be, a question can't take it away. Just like if someone comes and asks you a question on why you love your son, and proves you that you shouldn't love your son, it's not going to do anything. Even if you agree with the person that it's a real question. So these people, they have questions on Hashem. Very good. At that moment, their logic didn't understand. But that did not touch, that did not touch their essential amuna, Their essential relationship with Hashem. You know, Elie Wiesel is a famous personality, but I know also from uh, personal experience. I'm, I have a grandmother, gesund und Stark, who's a Holocaust survivor. She was in Auschwitz for two years, and um, you know, she never learned in her life. It's very interesting to understand the culture of that time. I mean, she was She, was, she lived in Krakow, and her parents were Hasidim. Although, from I understand, not uh, of any particular uh, Mm-hmm. group, but the father were a and everything. Daughters did not go to, went to public school. Daughters did not go to school. I mean, Beis-Yakov was a very, very uh, novel thing at that time, and it was not, I mean, most girls did not go there to Bessiakov. Although my grandmother does remember uh, Sarah Schneer. Yeah. And my grandmother, she went to, the only, thing, the only Jewish thing that she went to was Benos. At a Benos program. Shabbos, maybe in the, in the afternoons. Which she remembers very, very fondly the bnos that she went to and um shol, they didn't go to the girls didn't go to shol. show i think rashani and kippur they went to show it's about it the older women went to show girls didn't go to show and again this is uh, we're talking about a top rate uh, from family so it's a different time it was a different time than today and the way she describes it she she barely knew and she barely understood Yiddish, which is kind of surprising, that's what she says. She says, where did she learn Atadawan and Yiddish? In the, in the concentration camp, where she, she was 16 when the war started. And she says that over there, she said that if, if, they're, if, they're, if they're persecuting me for being a Jew, let me at least, uh, you know, that's where she learned Yiddish and that's where, um, otherwise she spoke Polish. And after the war she never wanted to speak Polish again. but. Well, my point I'm trying to bring out is illiterate. In, in, in Torah, absolutely illiterate, till today. Because when, when when should she have learned? And I've never met in my life a person with a stronger Emunah and relationship with Hashem than, she, than her. And this is a woman, by the way, she lost her parents and all her siblings in the war. She came out with nothing. Um, and it's a, a, just a live demonstration. Every time I see her, it's a live demonstration of what it means to be a yid, and it's not based on seichel. And when you, and you know, she used to not talk much about the Holocaust, but of late she talks more. And it just her words are well, I'm trying to remember her words are. You can't ask any questions. That's always she's saying. That's what Hashem decided. Hashem wanted. You can't ask. And there's just this tremendous relationship. And you're like, where is it from? that she learned the philosophy books that she understand it doesn't make sense to her there's nothing there but it's a yid and that's what a yid is a yid is someone who has a relationship with Hashem and it goes beyond, beyond sechel. you know just uh, another example so she's you know as I mentioned getting on in the years so comes Tisha comes Yom Kippur so my father who's a Rav he always tells her you know you don't have to fast you don't have to fast she's great she's old she's weak And she's like, she doesn't get what he's saying. She's like, Yom Kippur? You don't eat on Yom Kippur. (laughs) Don't knock me a China that I don't have to fast on Yom Kippur. We don't eat. Ayid doesn't eat on Yom Kippur. There's certain things that are just beyond, beyond Sechel. It's just something which Bayid is By Bayid is something which is, it's the way it is and it's not otherwise. And that is the connection with Hashem that comes from the essence of the soul. And the beauty of that is, in two. The first thing, which we're talking about over here extensively, is that because our relationship with Hashem is not based on seichol, it's not based on what we understand, but runs much deeper than that, so therefore our relationship is immune to um, immune to questions. Not that we can't have questions. We can have questions. Moshe Rabbeinu had a question. Moshe Rabbeinu turns to Hashem and he wants to know Lama and then the Gemara tells us right, that in Saklas Brachus, that Moisha turns to Hashem and says, I, I don't understand. Why is it you know, that Sadiq Vitoivle and Rashav? Uh, sorry, uh Sadik Virale and why is it that Sadiqim suffer? So Moisha Rabbeinu had questions. Did Moisha Rabbeinu have a problem with Amun and Hashem? You know, he, he spoke to Hashem face to face, as the tailor says. You can have questions, but as long as you understand and realize that your leadership is beyond that and your relationship with Hashem goes beyond that. So you can have questions. One day, one day they'll get answered. It said the law If you don't ask questions, you never that's, learn. That's all, yeah. That's right. Intellectual questions, right. Now, then there's another There's another point over here. Other point over here is that if we take this premise to where it leads us, that means that essentially we're all the same. Every single yid is the same in this area. Our intrinsic relationship with Hashem is not more by some yidim and less by others. It doesn't have to do with how smart you are. It doesn't have to do with how much knowledge you have. But it, since it's something which is essential, so therefore the essential relationship that a yid has with Hashem is the exact same by every single yid. We all have the same neshama, and where is the neshama manifest in Chachmah? And in chokhmah, there are no differences. Where are the differences between one person and another? In bina, in Das, and chesed, and gevura, in chokhmah, there are no differences. Now, so that so that's point number two. So again, point number one is this idea: there are no questions can't 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 harm our relationships with Hashem. Point number two is it's by everyone equally. There's a third point. The third point is what is the advantage of the fact that our relationship with Hashem is in Chachmah and not in Bina? So we said one one advantage is that it can't be disproven. You know, our relationship with Hashem can't be dismantled through intellectual arguments. But there's something deeper than that. Can I really understand Hashem? No. I can't understand Hashem. Hashem is not understandable. The al gives an example for this, not in this period, but in, in Vamuna, the example he gives. Imagine if I were to tell you That today, in Shir, we're going to discuss a concept which is so deep and so complex, so profound, you're not going to be able to touch it with your finger. So as the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, if someone were to say that, then kol ha'shimei ha'yitzchakle, whoever hears that would laugh at such a... That's ridiculous. But why is it ridiculous? Why is that a ridiculous statement? I with your not All I said is you can't touch it. Is that accurate? That you won't be able to touch it? You can't touch anything. a black oh. thing. Because when I say that you won't be able to touch this due to its profundity, what is the implication? The implication is like this: that the reason why you can't touch it is because this particular idea, which I'm going to tell you, is very profound. And by the way, and your finger is very weak. But let's say you had a turbo-powered finger, and maybe if the idea was a little simpler, then maybe you could touch it. That's ridiculous. You can't touch an idea. So the, impl- the implication that my finger can't touch this idea because it's so profound is silly. The world of touch and the world of ideas are two different worlds. and they- So the Alter Rebbe says in the exact same way, if someone tells you I can't understand Hashem, you should start laughing. Think about that. Isn't that a fair statement, I can't understand Hashem, because he's too deep? If you were to really understand what, you know, the, the dynamic over here, you'd realize that that's just as ridiculous. That statement, I can't understand Hashem, is just as ridiculous as saying, I can't touch an idea. Because what is the implication of your statement? The implication of your statement is that Hashem is something which is intellectually accessible. I have a weak intellect because I'm a human being, so I have, fi- I have a finite intellect, so therefore, and within human beings, I'm also I'm not Einstein, I happen to be not the Raghachavar, I happen to be a, a simple person, so I can't understand Hashem. But if my IQ, instead of being 120, if my IQ was 220, maybe I'd be able to understand Hashem. Understanding intellect cannot, the idea of intellect reaching Hashem is similar to the idea of my finger reaching an idea, but much more so. Because at the end of the day, both the finger and the idea are creations. Hashem created both of them. Before the world was created, there were no ideas and there were no fingers. Hashem didn't just create the physical matter of the world, everything though. The ideas and all all the spiritual stuff was also created. So the fact that one creation can't touch another creation, and here we're talking we want to know if my created seichel intellect can reach the creator. It's ridiculous. So why can't I understand Hashem? Not because my intellect is weak. But because Hashem isn't understandable. He's not grasped intellect as something which Hashem created. It's not a tool. It's not a tool with which you can grasp Hashem. Less makshavat fisa bey, as the Zayar says. No thought can grasp Hashem. So, if our relationship with Hashem was limited to Bina, the problem isn't only that my relationship with Hashem is based on my understanding, and therefore understanding is fickle. Today I understand one thing, tomorrow I understand something else. That's the problem we mentioned earlier. The problem if my relationship is based on intellect is then that it's a, it's, a, it's constantly in flux, this relationship, and one day I can decide it doesn't make sense altogether. So the fact that it's beyond bina, the fact that it's chachma, the fact that it's in this deepest place of who I am, that ensures the stability of the relationship. But it's much more than that. If my relationship with Hashem was based on my intellect, where am I reaching? The what? No higher than I'm reaching my imagination of what I imagine Hashem to be. Which is very, very, very distant from Hashem himself. And I want to have a relationship with Hashem, not with my imagination. And that's where Chachmah comes into play. The reason why the Aryan Saf is mayor in Chachmah. Remember, we spoke about that. The reason why Hashem's light is in Chachmah is because Hashem's light can't enter Bina, because Hashem's light isn't understandable. Remember, we asked why is it that Aryan Saf is also in Atsilos is in Chachmah? Because Bina cannot Bina cannot grasp the Aryan Saf. Bina is intellect. Chachmah is the is bitle to something higher, the deepest part which is beyond intellect. There, there can be a relationship. There, a yid can have a relationship with Hashem with absolute emuna and bitl. It's not about what I understand or what I feel. It's about my receiving and accepting Hashem within my neshama, that which is beyond seichon. So the place, the point of my neshama is chachma. From there, but as you mentioned, koyachma influences everything else that influences all my other all my other koiches, all my other faculties. But where is the point of connection where I connect with Hashem? That is the deepest part of me, the part which transcends my intellect, my deepest instincts, the most deepest subconscious part of me, my chachma. That is the nexus. That is my point of connection with Hashem. Yes. So is the higher level of chachma and koiches? like the lower level of connecting it to the rest of the person. So you want to know why is it reversed in the in the, in the words? <coughs> I don't know. But Koya but <coughs> Ma, so Ma is the piton, that's how we connect to the. Ma, and Koya Hazar influences us, yes. Yeah. By the way, today is the Hilula of the Ben Really? Yeah. Yud Be'ezal. Therefore. He's a but if you if you know if you know first name again Sasan if you know Sasson, he lives the Chazinish doesn't not Chazinish he lives the Vayishkay he doesn't need an excuse why this is his whole day he's living with this it came up. why <laughs> we should live with tzaddikim like Sasan lives with tzaddikim okay so how could the Bina access the Chochmah if Chochmah is an infinite uh, entity? I still the bina kind of can develop a relationship when, when there's no really, to, you can't relate to something that's not relatable. But that's why our relationship is the foundation of our relationship is not bina. If the foundation of our relationship with bina, then that would be the shallowest of relationships, if a relationship at all. Our relationship is in chachma. At the same time, I am going to make. That the rest of me, the Bina and the Das, are all going to be in sync with my Chachma. So that relationship which is on Chachma will also make sense to me. And I'll also feel it. So that means that my relationship is also impacting the rest of me. But where is the essence of the relationship? Is absolutely that's in the Chachma. The Pintalayid, which is obviously what we're talking about, that is the part of me which is. Above and beyond my conscious self, where I'm essentially connected to Hashem. There now my job in life is to make sure that the rest of me is in agreement to my Pintlayid and is, is is in consonance with my Pintlayid. And with this Dalte Rebbe is going to explain why there is there's unique phenomenon in Yiddishkeit, unique. There's no other religion that's like it. I know we're doing a lot outside. I'm not sure if we'll do inside today. Maybe we'll do, we'll do it inside next week. The idea of mass Kiddush Hashem, mass martyrdom. To be a, to dial Kiddush Hashem, mass, as in, in mass, millions upon millions upon millions of Eden throughout history, willingly giving up their life, so as not to reject or abandon the Yiddishkeit. There is no historical parallel to this anywhere. Yes, you have other religions where they have martyrs. Christians have martyrs and unfortunately we know the Muslims have martyrs. Yes, but in every religion, and there even non-religious causes that perhaps have martyrs for that cause. But in every religion, the martyrs are who? They're the special people. The people, the clergy, or the people who are ultra-religious, and they are burning with zeal and with passion for their, for their religion. And it is these unique individuals who are so passionate about what they believe in, and they're so immersed in their theology, that they're willing to give up their lives for it. <clears throat> and they do it because it makes sense to them, and right. And you describe you a different phenomenon. Who are the martyrs? The simplest of people. Simplest of people. And the people who have no knowledge, people who don't understand the greatness of Hashem, and the people who aren't so observant. It's not just. A issue of knowledge. People who bechal, they're not observant. The whole life, they're never too careful about yiddishkeit, about mitzvahs. And suddenly, when there comes an asoyim al kiddush hashem, suddenly when it comes, when a chaman someone puts a gun to their head and they have to make their choice, they're eaten. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Your entire life, you didn't live like a yid. And going back to the Holocaust, there's a story. I think it's with the Bluzhiver Rebbe. So, if I remember correctly, the Bluzhiver Rebbe. It was in Kippur. and there was this. this uh, I hope I'm repeating the story correctly. There was this couple. We should know the couples that were. It was a yid, but they weren't. Uh, Yidin, who unfortunately um, succumbed to the to the, to the and didn't um, and and as Imkiper was approaching, so the blue Jew said, "Let me do me a favor, the kipper If we can get a job, which um, doesn't entail chil um, yamte in other words, doesn't uh, doesn't have the one of the thirty-nine malachas." And uh, somehow or other, despite, uh, despite who he was, he, he was able to arrange that they should clean some of the officers' barracks, some of the officers' um, accommodations, their rooms where they were. It wasn't going out, it wasn't building, it wasn't digging, it wasn't, and uh, well, I'm sure that there are a lot of the over there, but at least there wasn't any uh, any Medera So. The blue shuvit rabbi and a bunch of his chassidim—they're there. They're cleaning, and as they're cleaning, they're davening, you know, by, as much as they can by heart. And the kapo is there guarding them, you know, making sure they're doing the work as supposed to. And suddenly, in walks an SS man, and what is he holding in his hands? Platters of delicious food—food food the likes of which they had not seen. Maybe, maybe not since the onset of the war. And this very kind SS man puts the food down on the table and says, everyone here, eat! He knew very well. In general, the, the, the Germans, Yimach shamam. they knew very well when the Yom were, and they worked very hard to make sure that, um, that they weren't very festive. A lot of, uh, unfortunately, a lot of mass killings happened on Yom Tevin know, or even that sort. They um, put in that effort. This is not another another way to humiliate them. I guess they, they understood. So they're all standing over there, all these uh, the Buj Rabben, as and no one moves. And the SS man becomes irate. He says, Why aren't you eating? I don't remember the details of the story exactly. Maybe it was the capo or Sadasim Kipper. And the SS man turns to the Kapo and says, Yo, why don't you why don't you start taking why don't you take some food? And the Kaaba says, "Sorry, I can't do that, Jim Kipper. I won't eat." So the guy pulls out his gun and says, uh, "Either you eat, or I'm going to shoot you on the spot." And the guy said, "I'm sorry, Jim Kipper. I'm not going to eat." And the SS man shot him on the spot. And the blue Jewish rebbe, he spoke about here's a yid, a kapo. Just uh, he, he, obviously he wasn't uh, not the biggest tzaddik in the world, but when someone wanted to threaten his relationship with Hashem, suddenly. He's willing to give up his life, giving up his life. Obviously, Al Kiddush Hashem. And this is a phenomenon which is again, which is unique to Yidden, and unique to Yiddishkeit. Not, there's two things. Number one, the mass numbers. Other religions also have martyrs, but again, it's what they call in Hebrew Yichides Gulan. You know, it's the, the it's, it's individuals. But besides the fact that by Yidden, the numbers are just astronomical of Yidin who are willing to give up their lives like besides for that there's also the notion of who are these people and there's something else there's something else as uh, Yossi pointed out so again we pointed out one thing is the numbers one difference between Yidin and Goyim the numbers number two is the nature of the people who are giving up their lives number three when a Yid gives up his life for Yiddishkeit, it's not with any calculations. It's not as if when the gun is put to his head, he thinks to himself, should I or shouldn't I? Hmm, you know what? I'm going to get probably a lot of gun if I do it. Maybe I'll get 72, okay? We'll stop over there, okay? With all these different uh, calculations. By a it can't be otherwise. It's the most natural thing to do. There's no calculations, there's no convincing. Can't be otherwise. Try to imagine, try to envision. A can't bow down to our cross. There's no reason. It's not, a, it's not, it's not, a, it's not an issue of debate. It's not, the, it's not I'm going to intellectually figure out the reason why I can't is because of the Zara is such a bad Avera and there's this problem with it and that problem with it. And, and you know, as the, as the Alter Rebbe will talk about later in, 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 in a few chapters, you know, really you can make a Cheshbon. Okay, so I'll bow down to the cross. I'll do Truva afterwards, you know. right? Truva helps for everything. But these don't begin. Calculations don't begin. You can't a Yid cannot reject his Yiddishkeit a Yid cannot reject his relationship with Hashem and all of these factors that we mentioned are all explained based on this one idea which we're mentioning which is that our relationship with Hashem is in Chochmah not in Bina and therefore, number one it's by everyone it's by everyone number two what was the number two? Nature. Number two, it's. For, so, first of all, it's mass numbers, number one. Number two is that it's also by people who don't have a lot of knowledge and also by people who may, may, may have done a because the relationship with Hashem transcends that. And then this final idea, it's not with calculation. It's not with calculation at all. Now, this is because the Yiddish and the Shama. Now we do find instances throughout history where we know that there were Yiddish who um, who didn't uh, who didn't uh, withstand the Nasiun, the you know the test and the Yitaka, they, um, they they abandoned the Yiddishkeit, they rejected the Yiddishkeit, and sometimes even in large numbers. Let's say in Spain. So. Emir Tashem later on in chapter um, 25 will discuss a deeper reason for that and how that doesn't really contradict the premise we're saying because what we're saying it should apply to every Yid 100% not even 99.999% if this is part of the DNA of a Yid of a Jew then DNA holds true for uh, for everyone it's not just uh, so how is it that even if it's a minority of Yid how is it that we find that some Yid so for, I'm going to give now a simple answer, and in a few prokms from our chapters, we'll talk a little more. Going back to what we said earlier, a parent naturally loves their child. Can a parent choose to hurt their child? No. Sure. Yes. And it happens, unfortunately. Yes. Unfortunately. It is natural, basic human instinct to know not to kill someone. I don't think that that's not something which is taught to a child. Like there's certain things we teach a child: brush your teeth, and uh, wash your hands, and chavez, you know, cross the street, look both ways. One of the things we don't have to teach a child is not to kill people. It's not as if you know, like, and when you teach to your child, your child, "Really, I'm not allowed to kill someone?" Oh, it's good to know because I that was my I was planning on killing my friend. <laughs> you don't you don't teach that. You know, it's something which. Uh, it's, it's instinctive. It's instinctive. It's instinctive that we know that killing is wrong. But people do kill people. What does that tell us? That tells us is that we have the ability, because we are human beings, and because we have Bekhir Reh free choice, as opposed to animals who don't have the ability to go against their, most, uh, their basic instincts, as human beings, we do have that ability. So what the is describing over here is the nature of a Jew. The nature of a Yid is to want to have a relationship with Hashem. And that re- and that nature, again, is beyond intellect. Transcends intellect. And the nature of a Yid is to be absolutely horrified at the thought of Rahman al of God forbid, having to... Uh, sever that relationship with Hashem. And that is true, not in 99% of Eden, not in 99.9% of Eden, but in 100% of Eden because that's the part of the Jewish DNA, that's the Jewish Neshama, that's because of the Iyren Saf, which is in the Chachma of every single Yid, no matter who he may be. Can I choose, can I choose to go against my most, um, you know, basic instinct? Yes. That is another gift that Hashem gave us. When Hashem says, Adam, mimenu, that the human being is like us and He gives us free choice, that free choice is absolute. That means that I even have the ability to act against my most elemental nature. So a yid, yeah, a yid could bow down to the cross. But for a yid, that is a radical choice to make which goes against His nature. First nature of a yid is I can't. And that first nature of "I can't" is not because of any intellectual reason as we're explaining. It's just because I'm a yid. At the same time, Hashem is very kind and he gave us free choice, and that free choice is absolute. There's no area in which there is no free choice. Every single mitzvah. And by the way, that's the beauty of it, because if there weren't free choice, then we wouldn't get any you know we wouldn't get any, any reward for it either. Right, because there's uh, free choice, so therefore we get credit for when we make the right choices. But this, I, this is the idea that we're discussing here, and Tanya and Perik Kudches over here, the notion that because of the fact that our relationship with Hashem is in the chachma of our nefesh, it, therefore it transcends intellect. It is beyond. It is durable. It is always there, and it is by everyone. And as we will discover, Emir Hashem, in the next perik and chapter. And chapter 19, um, this is the source of the Ava Mesuteras, the hidden love that every single Yid has for Hashem. And let's do a little inside. We'll do a little inside and we'll finish off the Perik inside next week. We're going to start on page 46. V'nimtza, and it turns out, oh, I didn't say, five lines from the bottom. V'nimtza. V'nimtza, and it turns out, ki ein The irin saf is within the chachma of our neshama, yiyem ishah, yiyem of every single Jew, regardless of the person's identity. And the Chachma of the Nefesh, the Chachma of the soul, with the air and stuff with which, which is invested in it, which it's connected to, it spreads throughout the entire Neshama, as we mentioned, influences our entire being, it gives life to the entire Neshama. From the head of the Neshama to the foot of the Neshama, all of it is vivified, gets life from Chachma. as the Pasuk says, Chachma gives life to its owners. In other words, so the entire soul gets its life from Chachma. Well, the and sometimes, Yisrael, Neshamis g'v'ay yismir'ayt, sometimes the sinners of Qal Yisrael, they can bring down, they draw down very high neshames, that were in the clutches of the k'lipay yismir'ayt, as the Arizal says, as cited in Sefer Gugulim. What does this mean? Sefer Gugulim, a fascinating sefer, it talks about the way neshamis come back down. It It talks about that sometimes you have a very high neshama that comes down to this world, and it messes up. As we know, the fact that a neshama, there's a high neshama does not guarantee... When we say a high neshama, by the way, that means a neshama which has the potential to be extremely, extremely sensitive to Hashem, and to achieve incredibly high levels. You know, we spoke earlier in class how every neshama is rooted in a certain sphere of one of the four worlds, a high neshama is a neshama that's rooted somewhere in Atzilus or somewhere in the higher worlds, in the higher spheres of the higher worlds. But the fact that a neshama is a high neshama, as you mentioned earlier, that does not uh, does, doesn't deprive it from free choice. A high neshama also has the ability to uh, to mess up. Esav had a very high neshama. You can't be this, the the son of Yitzchak and Rivka and not have a high neshama. He messed up. Sorry. That's why Yitzchak wanted to give him the brachas, and that's why Esav's head is buried in the Maris Machpelah, because his head, in other words, his source, his neshama, was a very it belongs it was was belongs in the lap of Yitzhak If you have a high neshama, you have to have, have a corresponding high koyachara. And, and the, the Gemara, Gemara says, says, "There you go." And the Gemara says in Right? Whoever is uh, who's bigger has a bigger because the everything is right. Adam Harishin had the was an incredible neshama. He included the neshamas of all you saw, and he was Hashem's and and he messed up. Right? He with uh, the because the temptation was commensurate to, to that. So. If a neshama, a high neshama, messes up, when the neshama person dies, so that neshama now is, so to say, is in the clutches of the klippa. The klippa controls that neshama, which is it's a very big prize for the klippa to get such a high neshama. Who's the klippa again? The is the forces of uh, of, of anti kedusha. Yes. Now, usually when a neshama. Messes up. So what's the seder? The seder is it comes down with the or it comes down again in a gilgal, and re, it's reincarnated to be to be able to uh, fix. To be able to fix what it did. The problem is that a neshama, if it's in the, this high nishama, it's in the clutches of the klipa, and the klippa is not interested in parting with it. It's also scared that beca- it knows that because it's a high neshama, if it comes back down here in this world, the likelihood is very strong. That it'll do. That this time it's gonna get it right and and be a big tzaddik who's gonna light up the entire world. Yeah. Some read somewhere that, somewhere that the highest neshama is rare, but purposefully descend into darkness to show light. So the Arizal says. That's what he said. The Arizal says, that so to say, there's a deal that's cut. The Klippa is willing to release this neshama only on condition that the parents are lowlifes. A what? Lowlifes. lowlifes. With the assumption, the clip has the assumption that this way, hopefully the neshama again, having such parents, will uh, will mess up. However, what happens many times is that because the neshama is such a lofty neshama, such a high neshama, despite the fact that it's born to such parents, it breaks out and it becomes a big tzaddik. And that's why we find that sometimes a great tzaddik comes from very, very simple parents. That's the That's what it says. And safer, Hagol So this is all nice, but what that point, the Rebbe is trying to say over here is at the end of the day, how is it that these simple people, or not only simple, he um, calls them Pesha Yisrael. We're not only talking about simple people; we're talking about uh, we're talking about uh, you know evil doers, people who were busy balaverus. How can they draw down a high neshama? It's like having a... Out the power. No, it's like a dog giving birth to a cat. <laughs> in other words, it, it's not even the same species. Here we have this lofty neshama and, the, and, and and these... how. But what's the answer is no. Based on what we're saying, we understand. Every neshama, yes, some are lower and some are higher, but they're all the same fabric. Ultimately, the chachma, in the chachma of every neshama is connected to Hashem. And that's why even these Peshi Yisrael, these sinners, they have the ability to be able to bring down this high neshama. And it's not a dog giving birth to a cat, it's the same species. Yes, one has the potential to be a tremendous tzaddik, and these people are who they are. But the fact that these sinners can bring down this great tzaddik shows that the neshama ultimately is the same. Because the parents and the child can differ maybe in their behavior. But not in not in the essence of who they are. The fact that this, these these people can bring them, the tzaddik shows that at es, at, in the essence, the parents are also tzaddikim at their very core. And this um, takes us back to what we spoke about last week a little. And this is all very related to the month of Elva, the month of Tshuva. And once again, just to reinforce what we spoke about last week, it's really the same idea. That when it comes ElO and uh, it's time to wake up. As uh, you know, we hear the shayfar, which is a wake-up call, an alarm clock telling us to wake up because we're, you know, we're asleep. In the, as the Ramam says, ilam, and the vanities, the nothingnesses of the world. And we have to, at the end of the day, we have to realize it's not about changing, but it's about becoming true to who we are, because at a very, at a very core in our Chachmah we are connected to Hashem, and it's just a matter of making sure that the rest of us now becomes. In line and aligned with and attuned with the neshama, and that is the idea of tshuva. When you realize that, it gives you a big chizuk, understanding that uh, it's not that I'm a bad person and now I ha- now I have to become a good person. I'm a good person. Good. I'm a good person. What? No, it's just not. I have to reveal that goodness. It's just a matter of becoming, you know, becoming true to who I am. The, it is. It is my truth. My relationship with Hashem is the deepest truth of who I am. It's in my chmah. It's deeper than anything else that I'm involved with. So I just have to get rid of all the garbage and all the and all the dust and the dirt and the grime and reveal the beauty of who I really am, the chachma. And that is the essence of what Shiva is really about. And we'll continue Mirchashem next week.